Hey, expats and travelers, welcome to this week's episode sponsored by WorldPost.io, the virtual mailbox service powered by Anytime Mailbox. We'll get to the features and benefits a little later. If you're interested in becoming an expat, whether you're moving to Portugal or another overseas location, I highly recommend you get your finances in order before you move. Yes, it's actually really important that you do it before you go. I know when we first got started, we did not do it that way. But if we knew John McNertney at Green Ocean Global, we would have gone to him as he's someone that is Lisbon-based and he is experienced with expat financial challenges. So he's a go-to person that we recommend. Right, he can help you with long-term investments, financial systems, and international taxes. And he's actually helped us and producer Dan has used him to explore what it would be like to move abroad and see if it would fit his family's current financial situation. I think what's great about him is that he gives you personalized plans. He will look into your unique situation and he'll help you out. And this is honestly what's super necessary because we get tax questions and finance questions on the YouTube channel and literally no background from the person that's asking us the question. So now we've started to point people to John. Right, because everyone is different and everyone has their own unique situation. So you need an expert to help you out. All right, so visit greenoceanglobal.net for contact information and further assistance. Check out the show notes below. Hello, and welcome, my emerging expat. You're tuned in to Let's Move to Portugal. I'm producer Dan, and I have the distinct honor of bringing you YouTube travelers and our resident Portugal experts, expats everywhere's Kaylee and Josh. Each week, they'll inspire, they'll educate, and they'll accompany you on your journey to Portuguese residency. In this episode, we journey with Christine, whose unexpected biking accident leads us through a revealing exploration of Portugal's healthcare system, bringing into focus the realities of access, waiting times, and patient experience. This is one episode you don't want to miss. Josh, hey, Kaylee. Hi, hey, Dan. Dan. How's your week going? The week's going really well. I actually got back from Lisbon just yesterday. There was an awesome, yeah. there was an awesome cup final. So I went to see FC Porto take Braga, and FC Porto came out on top, as they should, and as they mostly always do. And yeah, definitely All as right. they should. I have been uh, following you on Instagram. And uh, very curious about the outcome of that game. So two nil to the good guys. Nice. And it seemed like a uh, cultural experience as well. It was a massive cultural experience. And actually, when I started the day, I thought, you know what? It might be cool to vlog this. And a lot of times when I vlog, I have no idea what's going to happen, right? So I can't really prepare for any anything that's going to go on. I don't manufacture drama. Um, although that does make for a really good story, but, <laughs> but for me, it was like, this actually represents a, a few things. One, it's the first club cup final that I've been to. And for those that know me, I'm super into soccer or football, European football. Uh, and I have been for a long time. Kaylee and I've been to some pretty high profile U S games. Uh, so where our national team has been playing. We went to a final for the Gold Cup a few years back. 
But this club cup final is different. The atmosphere is different. Kind of what's behind it is different than when it's nations involved. Uh, so that was part of what was on the line with this game. The other part is the fact that I was going with a, a Portuguese friend's supporters group. So I was going to be inundated for roughly 12 to 18 hours of like all Portuguese. My Portuguese level is not great. It's oh, not it's bad. Good. It's good. But it's like, how much can I say and understand and how my brain, how is my brain going to feel as I'm just being inundated to like 360 with Portuguese? kind of exhausting. It is exhausting. And I survived. Uh, I survived the game. I ended up having to sit alone because the way the ticketing system works. So I wasn't alone. There were a bunch of Portuguese fans <laughs> around me, but not my friends. So it was, it was wild. Honestly, it was a transformational experience that finished back in Porto, but we, we went through Via Fatima, Fatima, right? I get a message really late from Josh that, okay, we're in the car, but we're stopping in Fatima. So I was like, well, I am going to sleep. I will see you in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And Fatima is this town that is like the cultural capital of Portugal when it comes to religion. And okay. I guess it's FC Porto. I don't know if it's one of, one of the other clubs as well. But on the way back from Lisbon, after cup final wins, they pass through Fatima. And they stop and they they pray there, like because a lot of the players are Roman Catholic, being of Portuguese, um, Brazilian, and and sometimes other like Portuguese colonies of those origins. They, there's a lot of Catholicism and Catholic influence, sure. so they go there, they pray, and uh, yeah, we caught it at the right time because basically all the players came by, the players interacted with the fans. The coach was like a celebrity. He actually had the most people swarming him. You know, oh, TV, that's cool. yeah, TV cameras, and you know, it's dark. It's like the the cloak of of the night or whatever the, whatever the the saying is. It's super dark, but then you have these beaming uh, video lights that are on. It was cool. It was an amazing experience. So an interesting tradition, but they you go there to, to kind of give thanks, right? I mean, they that went to it. pray to give thanks for the win. That was exactly it. And that was what was explained to me in Portuguese when Tiago, uh, my friend that, that drove me down there was like, by the way, we're not going straight back to Porto. We're stopping in Fatima. All this was in Portuguese. And he uh -huh. said like the word for to give thanks. And I was like, hmm. Did I catch that right? Like, because in, in the US, like, we don't have this. We don't have this tradition at all. So it was cool. That sounds fantastic. Let me, let me back up real quick. So the Club Cup, is this just a, a national title? Yeah. Is this just all the Portuguese teams that play each other and find out who the best is for the season? Yes. So to the listener, this is super important when you move to Portugal and really anywhere in Europe to kind of understand the, the football culture. A lot of countries have their own competitions that go on. So there's like a big European competition, but also in each country, and I'm going to speak now specifically to Portugal, you have three competitions that happen every season. You have the league where you play home and away, everybody, play everybody twice. And then whoever is the best team at the end of the season in the league lifts that trophy. Unfortunately, that went to Benfica this Boo. year. However, <laughs> there's two other important competitions, and they're both cup competitions. 
So they're essentially the equivalent to like playoffs, but you don't have to really qualify for these. You're just in them because you're a team in the country and everybody more or less without getting too technical is involved in these. And it just like dwindles down until you have a final. And the two competitions are called Tasa de Portugal and Tasa de Liga. Tasa de Liga happens a little earlier in the regular season. And, uh, Porto already won that competition. So we had one trophy already in the cabinet. And then the last one on Sunday, that was the final for the Tasa de Portugal, which is like the second best trophy you can win in, in Portugal. The league is the number one, Bubenfica, but, <laughs> but Porto captured the title for, uh, for this one. And that means we have two trophies in the cabinet. And it's always played at the National Stadium in Lisbon, right? So even though it was yeah. Porto and Braga, it took place in Lisbon. That's right. Man, that's awesome. That sounds so fun. All right. Now, this week, Josh, you met with Christine. Wow. She's got a heck of a story. Yeah. you. Know, she was one of the people that we really wanted to talk to about her take on Portuguese healthcare because she did not experience the same thing as as a lot of people that we've spoken with and especially those that we have had on our YouTube channel. We've spoken to people, Mel- Melanie, for example, was a podcast guest that we had here that just spoke so glowingly. But her experience was kind of one of a bit of tragedy in the beginning. Yeah, And she's just really been working her way through the system and has a lot of experience, actually, has a keen interest on healthcare. It was a motivating factor for her in, in choosing where she lived and um, kind of at the top of the list for her, which I'm assuming is like many viewers that are in a, I don't want to say older demographic, but like 60 plus, a lot of people, it's, it's on their mind. Whereas the people we talk to who are like 50s and younger or 45 and younger don't think about healthcare as much, right? What you yeah, say? yeah, definitely not as much. It's not on their radar for sure. Spoiler alert, Christine is doing much better. Actually, we recorded this a few weeks ago and I've been emailing with her back and forth about this episode. Good. Um, and her last update is that her physical therapy is going great and that she's on the med. So that's brilliant. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, but her her experience was invaluable for sharing with, with us and with the listeners. So it's a great interview and episode and uh really thankful to her for sharing as much as she has. Yeah, it's not always easy for people to open up about the negative side of things. I mean, it's super easy to talk about positive things. And even Kaylee and I feel that because we don't know how it's gonna be received. Fortunately, and oftentimes we find that on our YouTube channel in the comment section, when we do bring up negative stuff, people are really cool about it. And they thank us for opening up about things that might be uncomfortable because it is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to get on camera or get across the airwaves and talk about the negative side of a life that we're so fortunate to live. Absolutely. Worldpost.io is powered by Anytime Mailbox, which means you can get your mail anytime, anywhere, even on your smartphone. And they really have competitive pricing with their lowest package starting at $5 per month. Here's a cool feature they have. Worldpost can relay things from the U.S. to Europe. So that includes documents. (laughs) Amazon purchases. Amazon purchases. (laughs) And you can get it to Portugal. 
And they have a variety of packages. Some include secure shredding, free junk mail filters, and things like that. I bet you love that junk mail filter. Oh, lots of junk mail. I sign up for a lot of newsletters. <laughs> She's not joking. So if you're interested in worldpost.io, you can visit the website or check the link in the show notes below. Okay, let's talk about Lusitano Dreams because what they're offering is really great. Yeah, it definitely is. And Dallas actually has grown Lusitano Dreams since we first met him. So he's really getting his process dialed in. The thing that I like about it is it removes the barrier and, and choke point of the proof of accommodation because that's been one of the biggest things that the D7 and the D8 for the, like the long-term people have had problems with, right? Yeah, it's definitely something that is really hard to lock yourself into sight unseen. But here you can have a legitimate contract. You can rest assured that it's going to be a soft landing because you're coming into a furnished place in a good location and a livable location until you can kind of get your bearings and figure out where you really want to live. And the cool thing about it is that they can start your lease when you arrive. So you're not like burning a few months of, of cash essentially paying for an apartment or paying for a lease that you're not using. Yeah, that's one that's really hard to negotiate, trying to get a lease that starts when you want to arrive and not when you are actually applying. So the fact that they offer that as a service to where you're not, like you said, burning those months saves you a lot of money. Yep, Lusitano Dreams offers visa-friendly proof of accommodation. So that could be for the D7 visa or the D8 visa. And their properties include detached houses, apartments, room rentals as well in different locations like Lisbon, Cascais, Lule, and they're expanding too. So uh, soon to be Porto and quite possibly Silver Coast. Yeah, which is really exciting. So check out Lusitano Dreams for more information. We have a link in the show notes below. All right, Christine, I'm really looking forward to having this chat with you because I think that we're really going to be able to dive into a contrasting story about the Portuguese healthcare system. And I feel like before we do that, we need to get to know you a little better, uh, okay. how you got to Portugal and how things have been going for you while living here because you've been here a couple of years now. Uh, so if you could tell us where you're from and just, yeah, kind of tell us about how you moved to Portugal. Okay, so I um, originally am from the United States, and I was born and raised in New England, um, specifically the Rhode Island area. And I met my husband about 17 years ago, and he happens to be Portuguese. And um, we were content living in our Rhode Island place and doing our jobs and stuff. And then as we started to get older, my husband started to come up with the idea of we should go and visit Portugal. It's beautiful and you'd like it. And he's like, I think we should go for a month. And I was like, a month? I'm not, no. Vacation for me, a week and a half, I'm ready to go home. I get homesick even, you know? And he's like, oh my gosh, you need at least a month to see Portugal. And I was like, oh, I'll give you 10 days. <laughs> so he um, got me over here and I was like, wow, it really was quite beautiful. I enjoyed it, you know? And then it started to become, hey, maybe we should consider moving to Portugal. And I was like, I hate moving to Portugal. Forget it. You're, you're, no way. It ain't happening. So he started getting me to watch videos. <laughs> and the more I watched these videos and saw the lifestyle, I started to kind of think, you know, that, that's nice. Maybe mm. it's something for me to consider as we get closer to being able to retire in the future. And um, the more videos we watched and expats everywhere and a few others uh, 
familiar ones that are out there, I started to think, gee, maybe I do want to live there. So we came and visited again. And this time we stayed for two weeks. <laughs> and then, uh, then around the pandemic, we had already planned to sell our house. <laughs> And we did sell it right smack dab in the middle of it. And we came here during the pandemic with the intention of staying. Okay. But we've actually done this, Josh. I don't know if you read my my stuff. I on absolutely that. read it. And that was going to come up in conversation. We've moved here three times over the course of five years, four and a half years. And every single time with the intention of staying in either place. So we were yep. going to permanently stay here the first time. And then we went back to the States and bought another house. And we're like, no, no, Portugal is complicated. It's bureaucratic. It's difficult. We, we thought we were just nuts and just had a moment. But then the more we were sitting in the US again, and things were changing, the t- temperature there of things kept changing. We're like, you know what, we, we should have just stayed. So mm-hmm. we came back and we stayed a little longer the second time. And again, we started to have so many issues. Um, This time we were buying a house and unfortunately we lost 15,000 euros in that house deal. So it left a very bad taste in our mouth. And that's, you know, maybe a a conversation for another time, (laughs) but we went back to the States again. And then my husband and I kept thinking, oh gosh, Portugal's just so beautiful and it's the culture and the people and the lifestyle and it's more laid back and we really did like it. And maybe we just didn't give it enough of a chance and it was just one bad thing that happened to Mm. us. So, yep, we sold another house. We ended up selling three houses and each one we lived in. It wasn't like we just had real estate, you know? So it was quite the undertaking. The first two times we moved containers And then the last time we came with just two pallets, because I was just over it. (laughs) I just could not anymore with the containers. So we sold the house basically with its contents. And the people that bought our house were pretty happy about that. And I was happy too, because I didn't have to, you know, move a whole container. So we got lucky. The place we bought here was furnished and it was really nice furniture. So all of that stuff worked out for us. So here we are. And we've actually, this is the longest we've been here. And it's been a year. One year. One year. We're yep. actually anniversarying May, I believe, 19th or something like that was our, our one-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. So, you know, again, yes, of course, we've encountered, you know, the annoying things here and there with whether it be our Vodafone or our Neo account for our cable. And we have managed this time to say, you know, yes, it, everything does take a little longer here. But we were already prepared for that because, hey, we've done this three times. We're experts. And for the listener, if you don't know, Vodafone is telecom. It could also be you know, cable, internet packages. But yours was for your telecom, right? For, yeah. for mobile phones. Right. I mean, just one of those examples of some of yep. the bureaucratic complications that you, you get, you know? Yep. So we, we, we know if you're coming here because we've seen it, we've experienced it, that things just take longer in general. Yeah. So on, you know, we made sure we had everything in place to protect ourselves best we could lawyer this time that was recommended for our purchase, our, you know, home purchase. Um, We made sure we had uh, our health insurance and we researched all those plans. And then we had heard about having um, someone assist you with 
navigating the health process in case you get stuck. And yes, we have an advantage where my husband can speak Portuguese, but you know, even me, I don't like going to doctor's appointments and dragging him in there with me. I like yeah. to kind of go on my own, talk to my doctor, but you know, we did get the serenity um, group to, to assist us. And my nurse, her name is Marta and she's been great to help me. Um, there were many times where I was like, do I even need health insurance? Um, you know, we, we'll use the public system. But then I get a little cringy about that because the other two times that we came here, we would explore all of Portugal, like literally everywhere. And it brought me to like different places with my husband because he'd say, it's good for us to know what the hospitals are like, and we should just go and explore them. I mean, it, yeah, it's great to go to Obidos and it's great to go to the Algarve and go and see all these fun things like Tumar, but important life things that you are going to need are important too. So we would like snoop around and go in like a private hospital or a private clinic and we're like, oh, it's so shiny and bright and lovely, you know? And then we'd go to the a couple of the um, public ones. So for example, I've seen or used ones in college, which would be like the their thermal hospital. I've been to their main hospital. I've been to the public in Coimbra, in Alcobasa. I've been to the public in Peniche, and I've been to the public in Pombal. And those, some of those were explorative, and some of them were because I didn't feel well, which I'm not really a sickly person, but I did come down with the cold and wondered, oh, is it COVID and all that stuff. So what I can tell you is during those explorations, <laughs> I literally had like a panic attack in one of them because it was so old and massive. And I went to go and use the ladies room and it had doors that went, I went in. And when I left, I thought I went in the, out the same door I came in, but evidently I had not. And I don't know what creepy hallway I was in, but I felt like I had just entered a scary movie and I couldn't find my husband. And I felt like I was in a psych ward or something. It was just surreal. And I felt myself getting nervous. Like, like I, like I didn't really know what happened. And it was like some just really weird event. And I didn't like that feeling. And so my husband comes around the corner. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, couldn't find you. I got nervous. And he's like, oh my gosh. And he's like, why didn't you just come back out? And I was like, but I did. And what we discovered was I had totally gone out a different doorway and it just landed me somewhere else. And he had been waiting for me 15 minutes on the other side wondering what had happened to me. So the halls were dark and they were just very outdated. And it was quite frightening, actually. And that was one of the hospitals that was more inland. It definitely was a big city, but the hospital was super outdated. I don't know if I should just say which one it is. Absolutely. It was Queenbra. Okay. Okay. I don't know how many public hospitals they have in the Queenbra area, but the one we went into... I just was like, oh gosh, I don't ever want to live here and get sick and have to go there. Okay. Where was this one in the city? Where was it located? I'm not really sure. Um, it was one of our explorative, you know, visits here. Yeah. I just don't remember which one, but it was a tall one and it was big and it was public for sure. Okay. So, um, private hospitals that I uh, have explored were like also in similar towns like Alcobasa, Torres Vedras, uh, Lisbon, Bomboral and Benedita, some of the private ones. And they all seemed a lot nicer, you know? So I still kept playing with the idea of, well, if I live in an area where I like the hospital, do I really need the, you know, private health insurance? Yes. Well, life just happens, you know? So it was 
kind of rainy here this winter. And living in Portugal, the rain doesn't really matter that much because it's usually sunny in a day or two. It's just usually great and beautiful out. And I love to ride my bike. I've been riding my bike for, you know, 17 plus years. And I just really enjoy riding my bike. So after we had like four days of intensive rains, I said, well, you know, it's going to be sunny this week. Maybe it will dry out enough that I can go and ride my bike. Sorry, my kitty is meowing. So we'll just, that's Zen. Zen, please have a seat. (laughs) We're keeping it real here. Yeah. Okay. So after all that rain that we were having, it was, I don't remember, like it was just days of rain. It seemed like forever. But then we had like four great sunny days and everything started to dry out. And my husband was like, well, maybe we should go up north and go for a walk on the Ecopista. And he's like, and you can bring your bike. And I was like, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea because, you know, hills and rain and runoff and maybe I shouldn't do that, you know. And he's like, well, I want to go and I'm going to go for a walk if you want to walk or whatever. So me loving biking as much as I do, I got very tempted. And I was like, ah, oh, throw my bike in the in the car. I'm going to, you know, we'll go. Now, he doesn't ride a bike. I'm the bike rider. So I put my GoPro on my helmet and I'm all geared up and I'm ready to go. And he meets me typically at checkpoints. So I've got my phone. I try to be as safe as I can with my apps and I get out there and we determine where's the next spot we're going to meet. So the Ecopista de Volga is up in the north by Aveiro. Let's let's uh, explain what an Ecopista is. It would be like a nature path. Would that be the best way to describe it? Yes and no, but um, I my bike is road tires, like, like the really skinny ones. So I can't go on off path. Like trail, yeah, trail riding. Crushed gravel, right, or cement. Yep. So there's two. There's the Ecopista de Dao and those in the Ecopista de Volga. And they're former railway bike paths. They're yep. former railways turned into bike paths or pedestrian walkways. Yep. So that's but it's not like walking next to a highway just for the for the listener. It's no through the countryside. Fantastic sensory experience. And it's safe because you're not riding with the cars and the big eighteen wheelers scaring you and barreling down on you. And so you feel safe and you feel connected with nature and the smells. I just if there was smell-o-vision and sense-o-vision, it would be fantastic with my GoPro. And I, I'm always saying that. I'm like, oh, the eucalyptus, if you guys could just smell this, you know, it's fantastic. The wood, the rain, the earth, I just love it. The, the cows in the fields and the sheep are bleeding and the goats are whatever goats do. <laughs> There's a lot of wonderful things going on when you're on those bike paths. So we don't have a lot of those here in Portugal. So you have to go out, search them out. Um, you know, in the States where I was from, I mean, we could easily access those. So for me, it was a big treat and a big temptation to go. So as I got up there, I'm riding and I really don't think there was a lot of problems. There was some leaves on the trail because it has winter and it had rained. Um, and I was about five kilometers from the end. And my husband and I met up. My GoPro had died. So I took off my helmet, put it in the car, and I took the GoPro off. And I actually thought to myself, do I, do I really want to put the helmet on? It's just 5K more. You know, it's like three miles, 5K. And then something said to me, Christine, put your helmet on. Don't be an idiot. Just put it back on. So, okay, I put my helmet back on. And off I go. My husband's going to meet me at the end. 
And I came around a little bend and I saw something shiny. And I was like, what is that in the sun? Is that like wet or is it like, is it oily? What, what is that? So I slowly started to put my right brake, my rear brake on. And as soon as I did that, whatever I hit was like, it, I think it was like a silk, like a slimy, I don't know what, but my bike totally shot out from under me. It literally went right to the right. There was no more GoPro, so we didn't get it on tape, which I kind of glad, but I don't really want to watch that on replay. But the bike went to the right and I just was like, in my head said, you're going to have to roll, roll, just you know, good luck. <laughs> the bike is gone. You're going down. My phone shot off with the bike because it was attached to the bike and I just landed on the pavement. And when I did, I got to say, I didn't know I broke my leg. <laughs> I actually, you know, rolled over on my right leg and I started to go to stand. And when I pulled my left leg toward me and for viewers that are sensitive, this is a trigger warning. I looked at my leg and I could see the bone pressing through my workout pants, my black pants. They were the black stretchy yoga pants. Yeah. And as soon as I saw that brain said, you're in trouble, you need help. What are you going to do? And thank God, when I looked up, I saw a big lemon tree and a cement wall. And I thought, well, maybe there's someone there, but maybe not. Um, and if this would have happened deeper in, I really would have been literally screwed because no one would have heard me scream. Because you were riding solo, essentially, because your husband was at the checkpoint. You got that right. Okay. So he didn't know at this point that I had fallen. Yep. I knew, and no one else knew but me and God and nature and the birds that were tweeting above my head. And I was horrified. And I, I mean, if you want to hear a lady scream, man, that was a scream. That was a, that was a begging scream. Like, holy crap. Cause I would have been like one of those survival people. Like I would have had to crawl to my bike to get my phone. It, you know, it wouldn't have been pretty. So I know, you know, we want to talk about the healthcare system. So we'll try to get to that. And quickly a lady came from around her house and she was like, oh my God, oh my God. And she came running over to me. And, you know, thank God she was just the wonderfulest Portuguese lady that I could have ever had to deal with this situation with. And she got down next to me and I here I am in all kinds of agony and I'm trying to talk to her in Portuguese. And she said, I speak English. And I was so relieved. And then she's like, if you need to swear, you go ahead. Say the F word, do it. And I was like, <laughs> like say crap. And I'm like, crap. So, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. And she got, I told her I'm going to get my phone. I said, please you know, call him. It's the one with the Portuguese flag. And here's my pin and get in my phone. So, you know, flash forward, my husband's on his way. And I was still crying, holding my leg. And the first bureaucracy really starts with the bombeiros, the firemen coming to get me. She's on the phone begging them to come up to, to the situation. And they're like, well, we'll get there when we can. And that, yeah, exactly. She's like, they're like, we're, we're coming, you know? So she, I'm like, where are they? Where are they? And so she called them back, you know, like, come on, let's go. Where are you? So they did get there. It, to me, it felt like forever. My husband yeah. said that they were there when he got there. But some of the stuff I kind of have a hard time recalling. Sure. Um, I kind of feel like it was the other way around. I feel like he got there before they did, but mm. he said no. So I know that he was about maybe 10, 15 minutes away from where I was. 
Okay. First, they had to call him. Then he had to process and get get himself and put it in the GPS and then get there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I can't really give you a total timeline of how long it took him to get there. But once they did get there, they wouldn't give me anything for the pain because they said that I might need surgery. And one of them said to me, told my husband, tell her to stop screaming because it doesn't make it any better. Well, you know, hey, you break your femur and let it push through your, you know, body and see if you don't scream a little. So he was kind of mad about that. So they finally got me in the the um, the ambulance and I almost passed out from the pain. It was just an incredible amount of pain. So they took me um, because I was in Avedo. They took me to Avedo Public Hospital. And there I was left in the hallway. A while. And it was very uncomfortable experience because of several reasons. Number one, I was in pain. Number two, I was in a hallway and there was a mother with her two children. And for some reason, it was the little boy that stuck with me and still does. And I'm sorry if I get emotional sometimes talking about this stuff, but I think I am traumatized and certain things get to me. Um, This little boy, the horror on his face of having to watch me. It didn't, for that, in those moments, it didn't even become about me somehow. It was about him. I couldn't help him. And he, and I couldn't help myself clearly. So I couldn't help him to be protected from having to see the pain I was going through. I just don't think between the ages of eight and 10, a little boy clinging to his mom, like why, what's wrong with that lady? Right. He, he, he's scared. Maybe he sees the compound fracture and therefore it scares him worse, sees that you're in pain. Yeah. Yes. Totally. I, mean, I, think, I think at this point, maybe there was a sheet over me on the, the bed and he probably mm. didn't know, but my leg was still doubled up. Like I had my leg still, it was bent because I would not let it go. I was hugging my leg for dear life. Nobody mm. was going to move that all the way in the, in the ambulance and everything. I made them like, it ain't moving it, ain't touching it till the doctor sees it. Mm. So once the doctor did come in, um, they moved, they took me in a room. I can't remember how they got it x-rayed, but what I do remember is that they were going to stabilize it. So okay. without medication, they stabilized it. And what that meant was- I that don't want to ask how that felt. You know, Josh, it definitely didn't feel good. It was one of, it was the most, I, I had a, a child, I had, a, I have a daughter and when I had my baby, I was in labor for quite a long time and I could not deliver her naturally. So I had to have a C-section and both the labor pains were horrible and the recovery from the C-section was also horrible, but I'd rather do that. I'd rather do that because yeah, that pain, when that doctor just said, hold her other leg and hold her, we're going to push your leg down. I can't, my husband said he heard my screams through walls and doors when they pushed my leg down. So once he got the leg down, he was going to stabilize it by putting a cast. So they casted me from ankle to hip. And I didn't have much to say about that. But every time they moved my leg to go under it, it was painful. Sure. And, you know, it started to harden pretty quickly. And once I was in the hallway, I started to freak out because I'm like, well, what if this cast starts to swell and I'm all casted up now because I could feel myself swelling. Mm. So I, I, I was crying and the nurse came over. She goes, no, no, no. Look, it's like they left the like gauze on the inner part. They didn't tighten you here. And I was like, oh, OK, phew. So I was glad about that. But they said that they couldn't operate on me there because I don't live there. 
I was like, what? What do you mean? No, I'm a, I'm a resident. No, I have my residency card. And, uh, you know, no, here's, you know, what do you mean? No, you have to go to the town to consail you where you live. So if you live in the central coast of Portugal and your town is Alcabasa or whatever, you have to go to Ladia Hospital. And I was like, oh, okay. So when's that going to happen? Well, we're trying to get an ambulance set up so we can move you. So my husband tells tells me, okay, yeah, they're going to move you and you're going to have your surgery tomorrow in Ladia. So they're going to give you something for the pain. Mm. And I was like, okay, but honestly, I don't remember they gave me anything for the pain. It was, you know, I was just felt like I was always in pain, you know? So here we go. They're going to jostle me around again. I just remember constant crying and crying and stress and fear and just, you know, that little boy still, like I said, stuck with me and just, mm. just bad, bad. And I'll never forget the, the scream and the push down. And we're Can I ask you something we, real quick about your, your transportation? So the the firemen essentially the bomberos showed up is that normal in more rural settings that they're the ones that act as the EMTs because i also see ambulances and EMTs you know flying around the city quite yeah, often of course but when you have an emergency i guess automatically they send the bomberos they don't okay. they i've heard that you could request a private but i mean obviously if you are in a traumatic situation you're not thinking oh um excuse me could you please call the boutique for me because you know sure my nails and my my nails and my hair <laughs> you know you don't care you just you want to go yep. so yeah they send they don't send any private uh anything for anything emergency they always take you to the public okay yeah. so we went to lady hospital i was scheduled for surgery i waited in the hallway again and I guess, you know, in the morning, they finally gave me the surgery. I woke up. I was told that I had a rod or a nail in my femur to stabilize the femur with four screws. I had two screws that were toward the top of the hip and two in the bottom ball part of the femur. And that I would be able to put weight as tolerated, that I, in a couple of days, I should be able to put a little weight. And hey, it was going to be, everything was going to be great. So, of course, I'm thinking, oh, good, phew, I'm, uh, I'm going to survive. I'm going to, you know, walk again someday because that's, you know, a big fear. Am I going to even be able to walk, you know? So the hospital itself, I, I want to I start on a positive. And I can tell you that they had quality people there. There were really some good quality people there. The nurses, there was a, a one nurse in particular her name was Dina and she was stellar. I mean, she, if anybody was dropping the ball anywhere, she was picking it up, putting it back in their hand and telling them what to do. Yes. So they were giving me good care, care wise. Yeah. But you know, if you can get past the room and what you're seeing in the atmosphere, well, you know, I looked at it like, well, maybe I'm getting good care now. So who cares that the TV that is in front of me for the next four days literally has no picture on it. It's black, but I can hear Portuguese TV coming out of it. I could hear the news in Portuguese. I could hear them playing games or music. Hey, there's a festa somewhere. I could hear it, but I just couldn't see it. Okay. On the right of me was a poor elderly woman that had more than 12 fractures in her body. And she was pressing that buzzer and pressing that buzzer and long pressing that buzzer and just really un uncomfortable. 
And then on the left of me was another elderly woman that had many fractures, um, but she was quite elderly and she just basically was there. She didn't speak and her family members would come in and shuffle around her. And it was sad. I could tell she was quite on in years. So I was in the middle and I quickly learned that if I needed something, I pressed the buzzer boop, quick, a quick boop, boop. And, and they knew like, oh, it's Christine because she's not all day long pressing and every five minutes. So they would come rather quickly for me, which was great. So that part of the experience, it wasn't like hor- horrible, horrible, but atmosphere wise, I don't think the public provided a, a, a good aesthetic. That's the best yeah, way I sure. could say it. Now, I don't have a severe allergic reaction to fish, but I don't like it. <laughs> I am a chicken girl all the way. I will eat tofu and veggies and all that and be- and beef. I'm a little picky. I'm American and I kind of like what I like and how I like it. So, uh, you know, that, but that's what I, what I eat. And so I asked my diet to have no fish. And I will tell you, they brought me fish no less than three times. And had I had been allergic to it, it would have been horrible. Because sometimes you don't know, like you, you, you put the spoon and you're like, is that, what is that? Is that fishy? Or is that like, is it, what is it? Is it green stuff? I don't know. So uh, three times, I mean, literal portions of bacalhau and I would open it up and I would be like, really, really? You know, and the nurse got mad one day. She's like, this girl can't have fish. Why are you people bringing her fish? And then the, the dietitian, she's like reading the paper, like, like, well, what does it say? And she's, it clearly says no fish. And she, oh, the school, you know, a lot of the school, you get a lot of, um, oops, oops, oops. So they brought it back and they bring me something else. And I'm just going to tell you that the public food is super subpar. I am not going to pull any punches. It was bad. They brought some turkey that was so dried out. It was just didn't look like it was something that I would serve my cat. And I just wouldn't. It was dried out. I mean, it looked like turkey butt. It was just not oh, good. No. Yeah, it was not. It was an appetizing looking, guys. It just was not appetizing looking. So I um, I was glad to get out of there. You know, my husband brought me McDonald's, God bless him. And I was like, oh, chicken delights, man. Gosh, I love you. You know, he'd, he'd bring me stuff, oranges. I would, I was hoarding apples in my drawer. It, that's, that's how it went down. They bring me like those Maria Balasha cookies. Oh, go see those for later. So I survived the, the diet there, but I mean, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe Portuguese people would be like, yeah, but that's how we like our food. We like it bland, no, nothing on it. You know, it's, you're in a hospital. What did you expect? Your diet is supposed to be bland. Okay, fine. But it was quite a contrast to what I experienced in the private, which I'll, I'll get to because I had to go there because unfortunately, although I thought everything was going smoothly, I was able to leave in four days. I went home and I thought everything was okay. But after a week, I mean, you know, you have this huge surgery, you thinking, yeah, it's going to hurt for a while, right? At least a week or two. (laughs) So what do you, what do you expect? Of course you're in pain. Um, But the pain started to be more questionable. And as we started to look at our documents, we realized that the doctor's orders were for me to have a follow-up visit in six to uh, four to six weeks. And we looked at the paperwork and the paperwork said 12 weeks. That's three months. Yeah. So 
who who dropped the ball there? Why does this paperwork say I don't get seen for three months? I mean, usually you have a surgery. The doctor or the surgeon wants to check you a week later or something, right? right. <laughs> that not even. So my husband gets on the phone. I call Serenity. I mean, well, I didn't call anybody. My husband called Serenity, and you know, Martha's calling me. She's she's one of the nurses there at Serenity. She's my nurse, and she's calling me. How are you? Matter of fact, she was so fabulous. I was lying in the ambulance, being taken to the hospital, and Martha was calling me. I because your husband just told me you fell, and oh my god, and she was like holding my hand. So she knew I wasn't happy with the food and stuff, but. Anyway, she started to get involved in trying to move this appointment up because now we're concerned about this pain. So long story short, it turns out that we were able to get a sooner appointment, but I had to go to another town, not the town where I had the surgery, but Bombaral. And um, I was seen by a public doctor who had me get the x-ray. And at that time said to me, I'm sorry to tell you that the surgery is, is not good the nail has now dropped down into your knee. The screw, the screw is backing out at the bottom of the femur. It's being pushed out and the two screws are now chewing through your bone. And this is why the nail is dropping into your knee. So, um, that was pretty horrible to hear. Absolutely. I'm healing, you know? So she's like, we're going to, I'm going to call you in two days. You can't stay like that. Now, mind you, I was going to start some physical therapy because originally the doctor said, hey, you can do weight is tolerated in a couple of days. So, you know, at the hospital, they had me come on now. You can walk a little with the walker and this is how you do it. And I'm like, OK, all right. Yeah, I can do that at home. So, of course, at home, I was trying to ambulate with the walker a little bit, putting the weight is tolerated. Well, how did I know that the pain that I was experiencing wasn't just because I was trying to make these efforts? It That's turns right. out. You know, it's because right. I got a, a dying, dang nail in my, the rod has gone into my knee. Right. So right away she says to me, oh no, no physical therapy. I was supposed to start the day after I saw the doctor. She's hmm. put the brakes on that. No, stop. She's like, I will call you in two days. Two days came and went, Josh, <laughs> no phone call from the doctor. Now I was like crying again and again, because I'm thinking like, oh my God, I have to have another surgery. Like I... <laughs> This that would bad. be my assumption. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know? So we're waiting and waiting for this public doctor to call us back and nothing is happening. So almost a week has gone by. Martha is calling from Serenity. Dr. Michael from Serenity is like, what is going on? Like this poor girl, like I'm showing them these x-rays that I now have access to and it shows this rod clearly in my knee. So we managed to get nowhere. <laughs> basically with the public. And I was so stressed out that after about a week, I said, that's it. We need to just go to private. My husband was encouraging me. This is just bad, 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 bad all the way around. Let's go and make an appointment at a private hospital. So, and, and, and if you can remind us where, where was all this taking place in Lydia or it was all taking place in Lydia because that's where that surgery was performed. Yeah. Areto only had a small part in it because that's where the accident occurred. They really couldn't do much for me. Right. So this was all, you know, my experience there in Lady. So, you know, uh, we went on the, the SNS website, which is the national healthcare website here in Portugal. And it did show after like a week and a half that I was actually, in fact, registered that I needed some sort of a surgery. But I, I, I made a few notes here, like basically that for my type of surgery, that they would I would have a weight. 
of about 40 to 60 days, give or take 15 days. I was like something like number 14 on the list. In the private system. No, in, in, in the, the public. sorry, in the in the public system. In the public system. So okay. here we are with this knowledge of knowing the doctor never bothered it was such a serious thing to call us. And that I'm over there like a squirrel on the computer trying to find, <laughs> you know, like my SNS account. Like what did she say anything? Is there any notes? And I found that. So right. I'm here, no, I'm number fourteen. Like really? I got a nail yes. in my knee. I'm number right. fourteen. Yeah, what what are what are the other thirteen people ahead of you have going on? Exactly. That's what yeah, I'm it's gotta be mad. Right. And I'm like, this is why I'm, sometimes you see a lot of people, they're kind of limping, you know? <laughs> right. Right. So, and then you start doing the math and you're like, wait, 40 to 60 days, give or take 15 days. So wait, so it could be a month or it could be 75 days, which would mm. be what, two, two and a half months from now. And yep. then what? You see me again or do you actually do the surgery? I just was like beside myself. Yeah. So at this point I called, um to Hospital Deluge in Lisbon. Uh-huh. And I told them what was going on and they gave me an appointment the next day. So um, I have insurance. So I have insurance. So I I went there. Um, I saw Dr. Avila and he was an orthopedic surgeon and I had read online some of his bio and I knew he would speak English. So he took one look at my knee and said, well, in my x-ray. And he said, well, I'm going to take my own x-ray. So I'm going to have you go downstairs, went downstairs and his, he was just nodding and his head was like, you were looking at that x-ray. And he's like, hold on a minute. He got up from his chair. He walked across the hall to his colleague. And then he said, I'm going to talk to my knee specialist as he walked out the door. So he came back with that knee specialist while I was sitting there in the wheelchair and they didn't hesitate at all. And he's like, this is Dr. Luis Miguel Barboza, and he's a knee specialist, and we would like to know how soon you can have this surgery done. And I was like, as soon as you can do it. So this was like on a Wednesday, and he's, Dr. Luis looked at me and said, is Saturday good? Saturday. Who works on Saturday? Saturday's mm. play day. You don't work on Saturday. I was like, really? You're going to you're gonna operate on me on Saturday? And he goes, yeah, this can't wait. He goes, I can't believe that you were put back together like that. He goes, you mm. don't do a break like yours so close to the knee. And it was a commutative fracture, which means that it was kind of like crushed. There was like a little more going on there that needed a little more security than just two screws at the bottom. Yeah. So his opinion was that was incorrectly performed. So he, um, you know, said, okay, he was going to do that on Saturday for me. So on February 18th, because we wound up waiting, you know, the original surgery was on the 5th of January, but because of all of the waiting and the stuff with the public and trying to get my follow-up appointment, it ended up being that date that I got in there. So the surgery was done and I was very grateful that at least I had a chance because I felt like with the other system, if I would have kept waiting, I really would have been in trouble. And that was more confirmed to me when I woke up from surgery and Dr. Luis came in and he said to me, we, you were actually healing. Your bone was fusing. I had to cut through the bone to fix the bone. And he said that there was a lot of damage. He said it was quite a demanding surgery, actually, because he had to cut through that bone and, you know, try to put these fragments together. He said that I also had a shard of bone that was pushing through my thigh and that it was like a, like a razor, like a, just a bit, like a piece of sharp glass. So every time I try to flex my quad, 
that would just be piercing me. And he goes, I don't know why they didn't take that out. He said, but I took it out for you. I was like, Phil, thank you. So I was really relieved that I knew I was in good hands, but he had to cut my thigh open. I basically got cut open like a hamburger bun up the side of my thigh. And I had, I think it was 80 staples through my thigh, through my knee to fix this problem. And I have a plate now. There are seven screws in the femur head and five up the side into the plate. Um, He told me I could not bear weight on my leg for three months. So, you know, the other instruction of, hey, go for a walk in a couple of days, you know, so weight is tolerated that. No, he said, absolutely not. He said, if this does not take, it Mm. would be a tragedy. It would be a tragedy. So I really was sticking to them doctor's orders, you know, and I was really lucky that I had Martha to help me in this process because her and Dr. Michael were stellar when it came to coordinating my health insurance. Because if you can imagine, you know, not knowing how much a big surgery like that is going to cost you within the public system, it was scary because what if the insurance said, no, we won't approve it. Yeah, I needed to know that they were going to approve it. So they in the would, in the private system, you mean in the private system? Yeah, because yeah. even though you have insurance, like you know, you're just like assuming that, that everything is going to be covered. Right. You have to know. Right. Yeah, you have to know. Like, what does your policy really cover? Are you yeah. covered for stuff like that or not? Or so they have a partner there in, with um, Serenity that they partner with my insurance company, which is Asisa, and they were able to talk to their partner broker, uh, broker partner rather, and get everything confirmed for me that it would in fact be covered. And my copay would only be 500 euros for everything, including four day hospital stay. Now for those in the United States, you know, that would not happen. Okay. So it was a relief to know that. Yeah. Can I ask you about your, your, private insurance level like usually these insurance companies kind of have tiers of coverage so where was yours we're premium okay we're premium good yeah we're premium coverage so uh, and i want to say our premium we're paying it's something like i think it's 187 euros for the both of us a month oh fantastic yeah. I, think, I think you're paying less than we pay. I mean, we're, we're, we're three, but yeah, I think we pay like two thirty or two fifty. Yeah. yeah. So that 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 was really relief to know that. So uh, I was now I'm like in the and when I got checked in there, there was no little boys or girls in the hallway looking at me in horror. Yeah. There's nobody in the hall. It was spacious. It was well lit. White walls. Lit. Yes, all the light bulbs were working. The TVs were working. In fact, I had a huge flat screen TV in my private room. There were no elderly women suffering beside me with the long press for help. It was just me in my space where I could just cry all I wanted to or laugh if my, you know, visits came and made me laugh. I just, it was a private room. And in that private room, there was storage um, cabinets. I had a private bathroom with a shower in there and my own shower chair. And it was a bathroom sink. And there was a sink on the outside of the room for the nurses to use to clean things. And um, that TV was fantastic. There was a recliner for my husband. There was a, you know, I had view of, of the Colombo Mall, which 
to be honest, I wasn't in the mood to watch people go shopping and having a good time. I just kind of <laughs> wanted to be miserable. And I was like, I don't want to see those people walking. I'm jealous. I was jealous of everybody's femurs. I really was. <laughs> I was like, they got good legs. You've, you've never appreciated a femur more in your life. You got that right. Now when I'm <laughs> in the car, my husband will take me for my airing out, you know, and I'm sitting there and these bikers, I, I'm, I'm going to be known as the lady who blesses everyone's femurs because I'm like, oh, be careful with your femurs. God bless those femurs. It, it definitely traumatized me. So the experience there in the private was significantly different and better. I got to say it was well worth the money. I wish I didn't have to do it, but I had to do it. And um, the food was right. The food was good. I no one tried to, you know, kill me with a fish allergy or not, and they they just never brought fish, so that was not a thing. It never good. was an issue, right? And the food was appetizing looking, and I just I didn't have a lot of appetite because now I've been through two surgeries. I'm exhausted and traumatized and all that. So a lot of times things just. I just didn't want to eat them, but they looked really good. Okay. And so, I mean, at least if it looks good, it'll, it encourages you a little. But um, the dietitians noticed that. They came in and they're like, oh, you're not really eating that much, you know? So have this protein drink because you need that. And they were bringing me these really nice, like, strawberry drinks and vanilla drinks and stuff. And then it got to where they said, what do you like? And I'm like, well, I like scrambled eggs and I like fruit. So they started to bring me trays of things that I really were gentle for me basically to get me going and start right to eat. It, it, it's almost like a, an encouragement exactly right so, they're encouraging you to eat because they know that you need it for for your for your exactly. body to yeah recover cool right. so they brought me Smart. like eggs and these nice pieces of toast and coffee and i'm like now we're talking you know <laughs> and yeah and it although it would take me literally like almost all day to get through that sure they, like the lunch people would come and i'd be like oh no stop you know and they would give, like so much bread i mean it was like five pieces of bread a day i was getting croissants and they were like individually wrapped and i'm like who can eat this many croissants good lord so my daughter valencia <laughs> loves croissants <laughs> so but it was certainly a different experience all the way around you know the, the lunch people were coming and trying to feed me and i'm still eating breakfast and same with dinner so um that was great so you know we kept going with the public in the background because we were just curious, like, how long is this really going to take? So we got a letter in the mail. I was already at home healing for about a month when I finally got a letter that said to me, hey, we're really busy here in Lady Hospital, so we're not going to be able to do your surgery. Um, but here's a list of other places that may be available. We could still get to you eventually, but there's still like another month or so. But these private hospitals could take you with this voucher. And I was like, oh, so now they're going to send me to a private hospital anyway. But the catch was that all the private hospitals still had a two month wait that they gave me the voucher for. Wild. It's wild. So as we speak right now, I think I might've be getting, might've been scheduled this week or next week for said surgery. And like I mentioned, my bone would have already been fused far sure. beyond. Absolutely what would have been normal? Who knows what they would have said to me when I got there? Like, well, we can't do anything now. Who knows? And why would I want to? Can you imagine? So if I had the surgery like next week and then they're like, okay, now you got three more months of no weight bearing. And then you're going to have to start, you know, right now, I, as we speak, I am at an allowed to bear 40 kilos of weight on my left leg. So that equals about 90 pounds. 
um, that I'm able to put force on here. So I'm in physical therapy now and I'm going three times a week for that. And the physical therapy sessions that I'm doing, they are within a private facility. But that was also a problem in the public because I'm entitled as a resident to have that physical therapy through the public. So Marta from Serenity, she tried to help me to set that up. And someone was supposed to come to our house for one of these sessions. They never showed up. Um, and, and that would be backing up a little bit with the, the previous surgery and the physical therapy. It, it, didn't, it didn't come to fruition through the public. I, they didn't show up. And then she's like, you know what? Let's just kind of leave, leave this therapy at, you know, the public's um, hospitals. We have your name put in for three different hospitals. Let's see. They're all kind of like in 20 minutes of you. Let's see who comes through first. Well, they were not coming through and she kept pressing them and like, when are you going to have something? And, oh, it could be a month. We're all backed up. So we, here I was with a prescription from my surgeon saying he wanted me to start physical therapy and, and put 10 kilos of weight on my foot. And so we, we're running around with this prescription and no one can take me. So private was going to cost me now. See, this is where your insurance is important because if you don't know how much they'll cover, private will charge you in my area, they were charging between 35 to $40 per session. And mm -hmm. my doctor wanted me to go five times a week. So quick math, five times yeah. 40 is 200, 200, four times a week. That's 800 euros. Who's got 800 euros a month just laying around to just do your physical therapy? Not me. I'm sure people, some people do, but I'm just not, I don't happen to be that person. So that was really another devastating thing to me. I'm like, well, what if I can't afford, afford the physical therapy? So, you know, Martha's helping with serenity. She's like, okay, your insurance does cover that. And as long as there's reasons why it can be extended. And I'm like, okay, great. So off I go with my handy prescription to another private facility and they see me, but here in Portugal, they don't just take your surgeon's prescription. You have to be seen by their private doctors to verify if you need this or not. So I had to pay another 15 euros to get a second prescription, which I already have, to, for them to say, oh, yeah, you got a broken leg and you need physical therapy. I'm like, okay. So the doctor said, yeah, that's urgent. You need physical therapy. And I was like, okay, great. When can we start? He goes, oh, we have about a month and a half wait to wait, two month mm -hmm. wait here. So now Martha and my husband, they're frantically calling places, trying to help me get this therapy. In the end, I ended up having to go to Panish, which is about a 40-minute drive for me every other day. So I can't go those five days. The doctor said optimally would be five days, but three would do it. If anything less than three, it's not going to help you. So I do it at home in between, but I suck it up. And every other day we go for that 35-minute ride down, and I get the physical therapy. But I got to tell you that it's fantastic because they spend three hours with me for three euros because my insurance is covering it. Okay. Wow. So okay. Right now we're seeking approval for extended treatments because, you know, typically my insurance policy covers 12 sessions and 12 sessions just isn't going to be enough for me. So now you have to put in for approval for more. And it does say that I don't, it's not limited as long as there are reasons why I need it. And clearly there are reasons right. why I need it because I can't walk. Right. So that is pretty much, you know, my situation. So you, I'm sure you can appreciate how scary navigating that whole public thing was for me 
I don't know, you know, if maybe absolutely. Any- well, I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that you, you had help, not just your husband, but you had a company that was an advocate for you. You did have your private insurance, which most of the private insurance companies have some sort of hotline you can call to, to get some, some communication in English, which is helpful when you're, when you, you've just moved here, like you said, you've been here, uh, just a year now to, to have the, the level of Portuguese for the complexity of situation, it's just not realistic, right? Exactly. So yeah, we're really glad to hear that you're, you're, you're getting the proper care now, even though you had yeah, to go too. through some serious trauma. Yeah. My goal right now is literally just to walk. And I'm hoping and praying that it'll be a walk without a limp. You know, I'm a very active person. I mean, I, I, I'm always walking and I'm always doing things around my house while I was. And it's frustrating to just be constantly, you know, not being able to get up and having to rely on someone else and being far away from your family. And now it makes us pause and think, well, gee, that, that notion you had of not having insurance, is that still a thing? Absolutely not. After what I went through, I would highly recommend anyone who's considering to not have that insurance, which actually, Josh, you you mentioned that yesterday in you guys' video about sometimes wondering about your expenses if you could just live with the public. Don't do it, my friend. (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) Because you never know, you know, when life just slams you with something, you know, and I I would like to save that extra, you know, 200 euros a month too, but it's really a savings when push comes to shove, you know, and and even when we were calling our insurance company, trying to get that approval, thank God we did have Serenity to help us there because we weren't getting those speedy responses and having them in the background, I think, and having Dr. Michael kind of say, hey, you know, come on, what's up? I think it really was instrumental in getting me the care that I needed um, more expeditiously. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Christine, we really hope that you have a full recovery. I really hope to hear a success story that you get back on the bike. Um, no. Who knows how long that'll take, but really hope that that happens. Um, so that also means, you know, walking without a limp and uh, just continuing to uh, enjoy your your Portugal experience here. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on and spending this time with us and telling no us the contrast that I think we all needed to hear from the majority of people talk about their experience in the the healthcare system here in general, whether it's public or private, as a really glowing one. But we do know that there are situations like yours that happen quite often, oftentimes happens to Portuguese people who don't have access to private healthcare, and their story doesn't end with a happy ending. So we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. No problem. I'm glad I could do it. And I hope that it kind of opens people's eyes a little bit. But, you know, know this, that the Portuguese people overall, they're really good, kind hearted people. And I think they're just some of them are stuck in a system that they have really not a whole lot of choice over. And that goes for the doctors and the nurses that care for us in those public hospitals as well. And they're not infallible. You know, I mean, any something bad could have happened to me in the private system, too. I'm not somebody who is just, you know, you know, rose colored glasses on. I I know bad things happen everywhere. This just happens to be my personal experience. And I'm glad that I could share it with you guys. At Expats Everywhere, we believe that living abroad transforms lives. How has living abroad transformed your life? I think that I have a greater appreciation of everything around me, whether it's just the sky and the sea and the air right to the people that I see in front of me. 
I think it's opened up my eyes to a lot of things that I forgot. Because in the United States, I think we're really afraid of just going to the darn store. And I feel like it's really opened me up in a way that I can just breathe and feel okay. Again, because, you know, I was raised in the 70s. I'm a little older. Uh, so, And, you know, 70s and 80s, you kind of felt carefree. And I just don't think it's quite like that anymore. So I think coming abroad has made me realize that there is a bigger world out there in front of us. And I think even if I don't decided to not stay here forever, that I'm really glad that I did come here. And I'm really glad that I've done it a couple of times, really. Um, I've learned a lot. I cool. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. No problem. So listener, we know that you are preparing to move to Portugal. We did everything ourselves for the D7 visa. So we have a DIY D7 course. We also have a DIY remote worker course now since they've split those up. And if you're already here, we have a living in Portugal course for you. Now, the difference between the D7 and the D8 or the Digital Nomad Visa course that you could get is if you have active income, you should be getting the Digital Nomad or D8 course. If you have passive income, you should be getting the D7 course. And we have a special promotion for anybody that is a listener of this podcast. If you type in podcast at checkout, you will get $15 off. So these will just guide you through exactly what you need. They stay up to date as things change. And once you purchase it, it's yours for life. So if you're not ready to go now, you can still get it and take a look and you can use it later on. And Kaylee is a mad lady and she is always updating the course so that it doesn't fall out of date. Well, I have to because they're always changing things and so it has to stay up to date. That's facts. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Let's Move to Portugal. Contact info for all the services mentioned are in the show notes. If you like the show, please subscribe. If you love the show, please tell a friend, connect with us on our socials, and if you want to help us out, give us a review on your podcast player. Expats Everywhere Presents Let's Move to Portugal is produced by Time or Money Productions. Expats Everywhere researches our guests, and we do our best to provide factual and relevant information at the time of the recording. Despite our best efforts, we can make no guarantees as to the accuracy of what you've heard in this episode. We highly recommend that you do your own research and check your own facts. 